Welcome to Leading with Intention with Monique Daniel. Over the next hour, you're going to learn how to lead more efficiently and effectively in a post-pandemic world where the workplace has changed dramatically. Now, here's Monique. Hello, welcome. Welcome to the show. I'm Monique. I really appreciate you joining us today. Today, we're going to be talking about failure and how fear of failure can hinder us in the workplace and in corporate settings. We'll be covering a number of strategies that leaders can use to face setbacks, like communication, collaboration, and even psychological safety. My guest today, who will be helping us unpack all of this, is Dr. Ginger Rea. Dr. Rea has a bachelor's degree in organizational communication, a master's degree in public administration, and a doctorate in organizational leadership. She is also a certified career coach. She's currently an associate professor and healthcare management co-program director at UT Health Houston School of Public Health. Ginger, welcome to the show today. Thank you, Monique. Thank you for having me. Well, I really appreciate your time today because I know that you've been really busy traveling. You do speaking in various locations. So I'm really excited to have you here today to discuss this topic. So let's delve right into this. Okay. You speak a lot about embracing failure for growth purposes. Mm-hmm. How does fear of failure in the workplace hinder innovation and growth? I think that in my, my area of expertise is in healthcare and in management. And I think that what I see is a big hindrance. And some of the signs that I see in leaders when they're afraid of fear is they they tend to micromanage their teams. And, and for me, that's a it's a big sign and it's a big problem because that micromanagement is is this uh it's a tool for control and it ends up being the opposite of what we want, right? You you have a lot of stagnation. You have a lot of, it's demoralizing. Your team feels like they're not valued, like they cannot participate, like they cannot interject, like they cannot contribute. And it's a, it's a problem. Um, but I think for those individual leaders who choose to micromanage, they feel like that's the best scenario for them because they can control things. And I get how control post covid in covid it, it control feels good because we we feel like we can manipulate the outcome but it it ends up being um not a good thing because it does stifle creativity it does inhibit growth it does and it it does lead to possibly being what what the that leader thinks they were trying to avoid they're trying to avoid possible failure but in that failure there's opportunity for growth if we choose to learn from that failure, dissect it, pull it apart, and understand it. Failure without understanding a lesson and that growth is just a loss. And that's not what we want. We want to be able to look at that failure, reflect from it, and grow from it. Um, my mentor, one of my mentors always used to say, you're you're green and growing or you're ripe and rotten. And that is that is so true. If you cannot reflect on that failure, then you're ripe and rotten. I see that too in my corporate clients. And I saw it a lot when COVID first hit and their people worked from home. It was this anxiety that leaders had. They couldn't see their people. They couldn't see what they were doing. So they started really micromanaging. Even leaders who normally would not have micromanaged under normal circumstances started micromanaging. So you're relating that to the to fear is the underlying issue yeah. of that. I really think it's it's fear that this loss of control. Wow. You use the term fail forward. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? I think that it, it's tied to that concept again, that if if you do not learn the lesson from that failure, then you can't fail forward. Um, you're just failing in place or worse failing in steps, taking two steps back, which is not what we want, right? Even if, if you see a, like you got laid off and you take that personally and, um, 
you're going to let that stifle you and hold that hold you back and that's going to demoralize you you're not failing forward right if if that's how you're choosing to see that you, we need to be able to take failure whatever form it is um whether it's a personal failure a professional failure and say what was the lesson in that how can i grow from this how can i build from this how can i be the best version of myself and i'm going to move forward it's going to be two steps forward from here so is it actually a mindset Absolutely. It's a mindset. The mind, your mindset is everything. So what are the benefits for leaders and their teams to fail forward? How does that even, how does a leader instill that not only in themselves, but in their team? I think that again, that it's that, that, that fear, right? And I I think that leaders often think that fear, they tie that to maybe financial loss, like if I if my team fails, we're gonna lose money. If my team fails, um, you know, I will I'll look bad or I will um I'll lose face or but I think we need to let go of some of that. And and I get profit and loss. Like I, I'm not saying uh waste all your money and, and fail and you know, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, you know, we, we want to do calculated uh growth, especially in business. But I, I do think that there's some empowerment that we need to be able to give our teams to to allow them to grow, right? Are we, I call it coaching in business. When your teams come to you with questions or concerns, sometimes our team members are also, they're also afraid and they're afraid of that you're, you might be upset with them, that it's a dumb question, that they're, um, you know, they could be afraid of, of whatever, whether it's real or not. So I think that's where coaching also comes in and that we not, by design, give people the answer or feed people the answer that we coach them, right? And that we we ask the right questions. Um, did you try this? Did you try that? Tell me, tell me how you analyze this problem. Tell me, because we want to get our teams to the right process and the right answer, but we're also trying to groom them and develop them so that they themselves can hopefully be um, on a leadership path, maybe even to take our own leadership positions as we grow ourselves. So I think that that piece is key. So really, if a leader is feeling that fear and anxiety, it's, if it's leading them to micromanage, one of the things they could do is start to develop coaching skills, mm-hmm. which gets them out of that telling state of mind and into the coaching state of mind absolutely and and takes them out of the control and allows their people to solve their own problems or be guided to solve their own problems which you know if the leader is controlling and micromanaging the leader is going to be telling them what to do telling them how to solve their problems and it's not a benefit to anyone Yes. And I I think that's really hard to do, especially with a leader that may be new to that position or that had wild success, you know, coming up the ranks. And I see this with um, early leaders that they were just so that's how they got promoted. Right. Because they did so great. And they they have that mindset where they want to give people the answers. They want to tell people like, this is how I did it. This is how you're going to do it. But what ends up happening is you waste a lot of your own precious time telling people what to do instead of allowing them to explore their own path, explore their own creativity, explore their own, uh, you know, innovative paths, because there's more than one way to get to a successful, you know, result. So we want to try to coach people at all levels before we start spoon feeding them answers. And And I also believe that as leaders, our responsibility is to remove obstacles. And again, not to spoon feed, not to give answers, but we should be coaching up. We should be coaching people to to get to the resolution. And it could be a better resolution than the one we were going to spoon feed them in the first place. And I'm going to deviate here just a little bit. When we're talking about coaching, the term is used so loosely mm-hmm. across industries. And some people think that coaching is telling people what to do or that it is mentoring or that it's training or giving the answers. And it's really not like that at all. And I see that all the time with the clients I coach when they come to their sessions, 
they're using the term coaching, saying that they're coaching their people, but then the way they describe it is not coaching at all. And I have to back up and help them understand the difference between all these things. Do you find that in your work too, that when you're working with people, they think they're coaching, but they're telling? Absolutely. Yes. That is a, that's a big problem that I see is that people think that by giving people the answer or what they would do, that that's coaching and that's not coaching. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of education necessary in all industries about what coaching is. What are some success stories that you could share of leaders that you think turned failures into opportunities? So one of my favorite stories uh, is the Jeff Bezos Fire Phone story, where he uh, created this this Fire Phone. They spent $170 million. So you want to talk about I don't want to call it wasted resources because it it turns into a really great story. They spent $170 million developing this phone that they were going to bring to market to compete with like the iPhone and the Galaxy. And it was a giant flop and consumers did not like it. They did not, you know, and, and they had this team and they, you know, all of these people were working on this fire phone. And I, have you, did you ever hear about the fire phone? No, no. (laughs) So anyway, so they have this fire phone, $170 million. So I think if if I I stop the story right there, would you categorize that as a loss, as a waste? Yes. (laughs) Absolutely. You would think, what a terrible story, Ginger. (laughs) So the, the spin on this is that when they start reflecting on what went wrong, because you always want to do a, uh, uh, in, in healthcare, we call it like a, uh, like an analysis, like a root cause analysis, right? When something goes wrong. So they do this root cause analysis and they start to reflect and like, okay, what could we have done differently? Like what didn't consumers like? What what went wrong? And there's this one key component that, that Jeff Bezos really liked. And it was the voice recognition aspect in the Fire Phone. And what he particularly liked was that he could ask the Fire Phone to like play a song, play any song, right? And the the fire phone, the voice recognition would play a song for you. And so he really liked that. And so fast forward, he takes this piece of technology from this failed venture and he turns it into the Echo, which is the Alexa. And, and I have, I love wow. the Echo. I love the Echo. <laughs> I, have an, I have an Echo in every, every uh, room in my home, right? And when I travel, it's really hard because I'm I'm constantly in a hotel room going, Alexa, Alexa, <laughs> where, you know, what temperature is it? What's the forecast? <laughs> so it, it's a great example of what happens when, and, and I get it, you know, Amazon has a lot of money, they have a lot of, but when we reflect on the environment, on, you know, this innovation, on taking risks, on are you pushing people? And, and again, if a failure is a failure. The fire phone was a failure, but let's dissect that and let's learn from it. And let's, let's, you know, where could we build on this? Where, and I, I would say Alexa is wildly successful. Yes. Yes, definitely. I love the concept of the root cause analysis that you brought into it. And in some companies and industries, it could be called less lessons learned. Mm-hmm. Um, in the military, it's after action review, you know, things like that. It's reflection. It's going back and understanding and, and really even on a smaller level, like individuals, as we fail as individuals, like in our lives, that self-reflection is so important to go back and think about what happened and what we did. So is that a common a common action that is taken by these successful leaders who have had failures? They they go back and do these root cause analysis actions. So I'm going to peel it back a little more and okay. for me part of my dissertation was uh to use emotional intelligence. And one of the key constructs of emotional intelligence is self-reflection. Okay. And I think the main struggle that people have is that when you ask them, how self-aware are you? 
people will say, oh, I'm very self-aware. Like, you know, but they they are not, people are not (laughs) self-aware. And I remember reading a study once that said, you think you're self-aware, you know, go back and, and ask your people that you trust, people that you love, how would you rate my self-awareness? And you'd be surprised what people that you trust will say about you. Because at that point, you hear things about, well, you know, on social media, you're kind of snarky or, you know, uh, at work, you're kind of, you know, Sometimes you you say things that don't come off well or like they're not very thought out. So I think it starts with the the component of baseline self-awareness, right? How do you feel about self-awareness? And I think that's a good construct to kind of base everything out on. Because when you have leaders that are not well-versed at self-awareness, they have a, a variety of other issues, right? They they misbehave at work. They have outbursts. They cannot read when people are upset. They cannot, and then they don't know how to diffuse things because they think they're self-aware, but they're not, right? And so I think that through our own professional and professional associations, through our like code of ethics, things like that, we come up with this concept of um, root cause analysis. And again, in healthcare, it's a, it's a, it's a prime because we have incidents with, you know, patient safety, we have to do root cause analysis, right? That's something that is heavily ingrained in, in our professional societies. So I think the root cause analysis theme is there to protect us. It's there to protect um, things like patients, patient safety, executives, corporations, liability, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, as a leader, what does your self-awareness look like? And and if you think you're self-aware, ask somebody you trust to check you. That's such a good point. And, and I think there's even assessments out there that people can there take is. <laughs> if they're self-aware enough to take the self-awareness <laughs> assessment. <laughs> That's a big thing too. There is. Yeah. Yeah. Other traits that you think these successful leaders have that have helped, you know, inspire their teams in time of failure? Um, I, again, I, I, I feel like the self-awareness piece is, is key because they can read the room, right? You can tell when your team is demoralized. You can tell when, you know, they need that extra reassurance. Again, uh, knowing not to micromanage people, even when that, that team member likes being micromanaged, right? I, I've heard individual leaders say, well, this person really likes for me to dictate their schedule. They prefer that. And, and um, you know, I kind of pause because I'm like, really? Why do you think they're doing that? Mm. And and you might be okay with that. Like that might take five minutes out of your day, but what are you teaching that leader or that person to do and what happens the day you're not at work or you're on vacation you know what's going to happen with that with that person's schedule so I I think the ability to really um you know hone in and and read the room and and ensure that your team is growing in the right way and that when they do fail that you're there to help them have that culture of safety so that they can reflect on how they can grow. And I I think that culture piece is also extremely important. If you don't have that culture of safety where they can come to you, where they can say, hey, I I didn't feel good about that, or I didn't like when you did that, or can we try something else? Like, I think that is a big, a big thing. And in healthcare, that's a big thing, that culture of, of safety. We're going to pause here for a quick break. We've been talking to Dr. Ginger Rayo about turning workplace failures into opportunities and the concept of failing forward. When we come back, we're going to hear more about leaders and how they can use safety and psychological safety to promote learning from failures. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Are you ready to unlock your full potential as a leader? Look no further than MD Consulting. Monique Daniel, executive coach, best-selling author, and captivating public speaker, is here to guide you towards transformational success. With a global reach, Monique empowers executive leaders and HR professionals through engaging presentations at conferences, team-building activities, and industry gatherings. Monique's mission is clear, to revolutionize workplace behavior. She achieves this not only by coaching a diverse clientele, but also by educating corporate leaders through both virtual and in-person events. Well, thank you so much for being here to help us understand. As a recognized subject matter expert, Monique delves into crucial topics such as psychological safety, onboarding strategies, effective training methods, and mastering time management skills. Now for a great topic that we're going to delve into. Ready to learn more? Request Monique's Speaker One Sheet or secure her for an engaging speaking engagement by sending an email to monique at mdconsultingglobal.com. Don't miss this opportunity to elevate your leadership journey with Monique Daniel and MD Consulting. Unleash your potential today. Visit www.mdconsultingglobal.com or email monique at mdconsultingglobal.com to take the next step towards transformative leadership. MD Consulting, where success begins. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome back to Leading with Intention with Monique Daniel. Have a question for Monique or her guests? Email Monique at Monique at MDConsultingGlobal.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. We are here with Dr. Ginger Rea talking about failure and really how to embrace it. Ginger, in talking about failure and even multiple failures, what do you think makes some people keep trying or kind of develop a res resilience when others just give up completely? I think for, uh, for some individuals, I think it's just ingrained in them, right? And they're they're lucky to have that spirit where they just are unstoppable and they want to keep going. I think for some of us, it's a learned trait and we've had either exceptional leaders or we've had exceptional mentors who have shown us what it looks like to be resilient and They've demonstrated for us what it looks like to be resilient. They've picked themselves up. They've continued to, you know, build on their careers even when they've when they've failed. And I think that's a that's a beautiful thing to have seen someone fail and then still pick up and and be successful. And so I think when you have those examples and that you've you can learn from those types of mentors or or peers even. I think that is a, a good lesson that you can learn. I think that when you yourself have had to fail, but you have great motivation for wanting to succeed, um, maybe it's a personal achievement that you're trying to, to succeed for. I know for some of us, failure is not an option. You know, we have to feed our families. We have to um, take care of others. And so we we find a way to persevere. So I do feel like there's certain resilient um, paths that we're all on. And so hopefully um, we have good examples or we option is just not a failure and we have to keep going. Um, there are certain trainings that I know certain certain corporations have like resiliency training, like you, that you understand how to keep going. But I think 
sometimes it's just learning. And you brought up a couple key points in in your response because I think mentoring is really important, which as we already talked about is different than coaching. But mm-hmm. having a, a true mentor and having that support as you're working through something difficult. And then you mentioned like, what is the end goal? Why? Like, what's your why? Why are you so motivated or why should you be so motivated to right. accomplish this? So having some of those pieces, and and again, if you are self-aware, you'll be aware enough to know that you need those things, that you need support and things like that. So thanks for... Thanks for helping us dig into that a little bit. Before break, you mentioned safety, psychological safety. How does that tie in to failure? I think that when you have a leader that you trust, that has created this element of psychological safety, um, when you fail and you know you failed, you're the first one to raise your hand and say, hey, this happened. Or, hey, you know, I need help. Or, hey, I, I think I think this is going to happen. I need help. Or, or this may occur. And in healthcare, that is, a, that is so important for us to speak up, right? We see this in, in ORs. We see this when we have timeouts that, wait a minute, that's the wrong, that's the wrong limb. That's the wrong arm that, you know, wait, you know, and when, when we're, we don't feel safe, that's when errors happen. And, and in healthcare, that's catastrophic. People, people get hurt and people die. And that's not, that's not acceptable. And it, when we think about in any leadership position, when we do not feel safe and we can't share that um, something's occurring or um, we really are exposing everyone in, in not only between like a, a a mentor and a leader, but ultimately a corporation, an entity, uh, an organization that sets you up for major risk and, and possible failure. And and you want to talk about profit and loss there. That's when it ripples out when you don't have a culture of safety. And I also think I've seen individuals before when they don't have a culture of safety, the stress that that puts on that individual. I mean, I've seen individuals that end up needing to go to therapy or they end up, you know, they go to counseling, they have to get acupuncture. They have to, they have to, have to, have to do all of these mental health. Um, they have to take all these extra mental health steps just to stay stable. I wouldn't even say well, and, and it's so, it's so harmful. It's so harmful to the environment, to your, and really to your end goal as, as a leader and, and a corporation. How does a leader even try to create psychological safety? Is there a, a process, a formal process? I think that being visible is important. I think the concept of rounding really plays a part in uh, demonstrating to your team that you're visible. Right. Because you may not always be I know we like to say, oh, I have an open door policy. But when you're when you're in a leadership position, you're busy and that may not always be the case. Right. You may be on a call. You may be on a trip. You may be on a, you know, back to back meetings. But if you take time to, you know, go around with your team or go check in or, you know, make sure everybody's I, I think rounding helps with visibility. And it's it's an important step that I've seen that I've had the the pleasure of seeing some very high ranking executives in my career uh, round at all levels. And it, it wasn't something that they felt like, oh, only um, second line leaders round. I don't round because I'm, you know, this high up executive. So I felt like visibility is, is a big way that you connect and that you show you care. And it's very simple. It's not a crazy, you know, out of your way type thing. And it, it it shows visibility. But then I also think that connecting with people, um, being there when they when they do need you, when something has gone awry, being there for crisis management, showing people that you care during COVID, you know, uh, having calls before and after the end of the day or whenever people needed you, right? Being present um, really helped to create that sense of, 
of security and safety. With some organizations who are still remote or hybrid, can rounding still be done? I think so. I think that especially in hybrid situations, you can still check in, right? I I I love Zoom. I love uh you know, you can have mini uh Friday check-ins, mini um what do we call them? um not round tables, but you know, you can check in with people, see how they're doing. Um, I call them like coffee breaks, right? Five minutes, mm-hmm. uh, pre-day, you know, check in on people, make sure they're okay. Um, we used to do little like virtual parties or, you know, we'd we'd have a theme where everybody had to have like a beach hat or, you know, just to connect and have it feel like we were people again, like it, we're just regular people connecting. Yeah, and I think if that psychological safety is there, when there is a problem or a crisis or a failure, you can kind of bound together. You kind of become closer and you're discussing your, your fears. People are talking about their fears. They feel safe to talk about their fears in those kinds of situations. Mm-hmm. And they are able to feel safe doing that. And then as the crisis resolves or as the the change becomes a little more stable, those lessons learned or the root cause analysis, people can contribute better to those kinds of situations. Absolutely. So that they feel a lot more comfortable doing that versus if there was no psychological safety there and, and people aren't as close knit. So I think that's a a really good point. Yes. And earlier you had asked me about resiliency training, but let me know when you want to go there. But I I do want to talk about resiliency tips versus resiliency training. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that now, because I would love for you to give our listeners some tips. So part of a career coaching for me is that I want to, I want people to avoid burning out. And I, I see that heavily with executives, with leaders during COVID and especially post COVID. I saw a lot of leaders change careers. I saw a lot of healthcare executives leaving their healthcare posts. If, if I was lucky, they were staying in healthcare, but sometimes they weren't. And a lot of it had to do with burnout. And you see this with physicians, especially they they are very likely to to burn out because they are working. There's a high need for them and there's a high need for all leaders. So how do we keep them resilient and how do we keep people, um, you know, sane and, and intact? And so through the Institute of Coaching, which I am a member of, there is a list of top 10 resiliency tips that the coaches had developed during COVID. So I'd like to share some of those with you if we have some some time. Sure. But I think and number one resonates with me very much because I think the the number one tip was to be compassionate with yourself. And I especially find this to be problematic with my coaching clients because when I coach people, the number one person that they're hardest on is themselves. Right. Yes. <laughs> so I, I find that people need a reminder that you need to show yourself some grace. If you've had a hard time, you're having a hard day, uh, again, the concept of failing forward, be compassionate with yourself, show yourself some grace. Uh, Number two is that courage is not the absence of fear, right? I, I feel like fear has a role in our lives. Sometimes it's real. Sometimes it's not. And for some of us, fear is excessive, like in the micromanagement scenario. But you can be courageous and still still be afraid. And that's okay. Number three is that we look for the good and the bad and that we still be, you know, realists and optimists. And I and I feel like that's a real struggle for some people. You can you can be both a realist and optimist. Number four is that we always continue to cultivate our confidence and that we come up with a mantra or some way to um, to kind of build ourselves up when we're having a hard day. And I, I love that that idea that we have a mantra. How do you pick yourself up 
when there's nobody around, you can't find your mentor, you can't find your leader. What's your mantra? Number five, take care of your body and your health, which shouldn't be a shocker, but it is. Uh, I was on a podcast recently where we where I, I talk about how at a bare minimum, you should go in for your annual exam and you'd be surprised how many healthcare leaders do not make time to go in for their annual checkup. Take care of yourself. That's how you build your resiliency. Number six, work on being calm. And this, I think, is heavily tied to self-awareness to enable that you make the right decision in the moment. So work on being calm. Number seven, rely on the support system that you have. We're not alone. And for me, this one really resonates because I think that sometimes we think, oh, I don't, you know, I don't have a, I'm not married or I don't have a huge family. But at the end of the day, we're not alone, right? We have some support system. We just need to reach out and ask for help if we need it. We're at work. You know, you've got a leadership team. You've got a support system. Ask for help if you need it. Number eight, be purposeful and engage in productive and meaningful activities. Number eight is extremely important. I love to volunteer. I love to give back to my community. But what ends up happening is I get stretched way too thin. And I end up not maybe doing the things that I find most meaningful and engaging and fulfilling. And so at this age and at this point in time, I really have to think twice before I accept any extracurriculars of my time, because if not, I will burn out fast on things that I should not have been doing in the first place. Number nine is to engage in nourishing habits like mindfulness. Food, are you eating the right food? Are you eating healthy food? Are you sleeping? Are you respecting you know, your, your resting time? And are you um, engaging in social interactions that again, you find fulfilling and enriching? And number 10 is that you keep your eyes open for signs of stress, including nonverbals in yourself and others. And I think that one's really important because um, I personally have had an anxiety attack and I was in complete denial about it. And uh, I now know the cues that when my body is revolting against my mind, you really need to be aware of those things. And I think those 10 tips are great tips for helping us build resiliency in ourselves. Those are great tips and all related to self-care that we so desperately need. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about exit strategies. And if you are burned out or if you feel you need to leave, how do you know when to do that? I'm here with Dr. Ginger Rea. Stay with us. We'll be right back. America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. At MD Consulting, Executive Coach Monique Dagneau provides executive coaching to leaders struggling with workplace challenges and pain points. Unlike other coaching companies that use a Band-Aid approach, we have a specific set of tools and processes to thoroughly root cause and unpack a client's challenges. Our specialized method helps you implement measurable and sustainable solutions to enhance your leadership skills and develop your team. Visit www.mdconsultingglobal.com to book a complimentary breakthrough session. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. How do you cultivate braver, more daring leaders? And how do you embed the value of courage in your culture? How do you take charge of your life and achieve your goals and bring about positive changes that propel you forward? On The Leader's Edge, join your hosts, Steve and Ernie, as they bring a mix of insights in personal and leadership growth that shapes your culture and the culture around you. 
Lean in and learn intentionally how to accelerate into your next best life. Tune into The Leader's Edge with Ernalita DeCumos and Steve Steele, Thursdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Leading with Intention with Monique Daniel. Have a question for Monique or her guests? Email Monique at Monique at MDConsultingGlobal.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. If you have tuned in a little late, we've been talking to Dr. Ginger Rea about how leaders can navigate change at work and help their team build resilience. Ginger, you do career coaching as well. Can you yes. tell us a little bit about that and some of the situations you come up with when you're coaching leaders? So for the career coaching, I um I've been a career coach for over five years now. I'm a certified career coach. And the work that I've primarily done, I, I do feel like a lot of it is is covering a lot of the basics. So a lot of the questions I get from executives are things like, you know, when when should I exit? When should I? And, and a lot of the, the things that people need help with are things like sometimes it's their resume, sometimes it's their you know, but the thing that a lot of people need help with is their LinkedIn profile. And so we spend a lot of time um, working on that. And consequently, that is the probably the best way to find me is on LinkedIn for as Dr. Gingeriah. And so um, I've also spent a lot of time um, volunteering with, for example, the American College of Healthcare Executives. And even there, um, you know, speaking to executives about career strategies, about exit strategies, you know, and, and learning when, when should you leave? Because our careers are sometimes unfortunately tied to our identities. And so often I hear executives say, but I'm loyal, I'm loyal and I, I want to stay. And, you know, I got hired to fix this sinking ship and I'm, I'm going to stay till the end. But some weird things are happening. Like they're asking me for data and I think they're going to sell, you know, when should I leave? And I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, you, you know, the signs like you're at what point do you leave? Right. And so I think knowing when an appropriate exit strategy is and, and knowing that um, you also need to be loyal to self. So you actually teach them or coach them on looking for the signs, yes. like the red flags of what's going on in the company, yes. but then also being loyal to themselves yes, rather that, than their company. That yeah. is, I think, a very unusual concept for most people to think about because they do think about being loyal to the company, especially if they came in and had a huge success in the beginning. And they feel like they need to continue that pattern. Right. And it may or may not be happening. And they don't know when to stop or when to leave. I have a long history of doing acquisitions. So I used to do my last job, I used to do physician practice acquisitions. So that's the other area that, you know, when when healthcare executives will tell me, well, they're asking for all these reports, they're asking for all this data. You know, as someone who did acquisitions of of physician practices, I'm like, oh, <laughs> they're going to buy you out. You know, they're going to buy your company out. They're going to buy your practice out. And sometimes there's room for another executive and sometimes they're not. And part of having a career strategy is and being loyal to yourself is, is your resume up to date? Is your LinkedIn profile up to date? Did you already do all the networking and all the groundwork so that if you are put in a difficult situation, you already have a network established? And people, I don't know what it is about networking, but people hate it. I know. They I see that too. <laughs> and that's that's the legwork, you know? And that's not something you you should be doing when you get laid off or when they right. give you severance package. At that point, it might be too late. I mean, it's not too late, but 
It's right. not an optimal situation to be in. You should right. have already done the legwork. And I think so many people, especially introverts, they they tell me in sessions, well, I prefer relationships to just happen organically. And that's not how it happens. You have to have a strategy. You have to have deliberate intention, whether you're an introvert or extrovert, but especially if you're an introvert, because it does not come naturally to an introvert. And you have to have a step-by-step process to do it. And it can be an organic process, but it has to be a process. You can't just leave it up to whatever to, yes, yes. To start networking. And you're right, when when people end up getting laid off or they lose their job or they quit, then they don't know what to do next or what the steps are. And some people don't quit when they should because they don't know how to find another job or they they haven't done the proactive work, like you're saying, the resume, the LinkedIn profile, the networking, all of those are things that should be happening anyway, even when you are employed. Right. And what what I tell people is that if your plan is to start applying for work, you're doing it the hard way. You should have already been networking. You should have already been because once you lose your job or you have to quit, then at that point, uh, you're going to have to force some unorganic conversations. And, you know, that's terrible. That's terrible. When you could have had a strategy to start networking, especially if you're an introvert. Right. Yeah. So you work with people not only to see the red flags and to be loyal to themselves, but then those proactive steps in advance, resumes, LinkedIn, networking, and all of that. Okay. Negotiating, you know, how are you? Um, it, It drives me crazy that historically so so many times i see that especially women take the first offer right or they didn't do any research um to see what was competitive for their area or for and there's so many tools out there that you can use to 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 be competitive so it's all of that kind of training that you need again to be loyal to self what role does effective communication play in collaboration and overcoming challenges at work and helping people be more resilient? Yeah, I I think communication and and effectively communicating with other people is absolutely an art and it's a skill set. And I think that you just can't think, oh, I'm going to read a lot of books or, you know, like it's not just something that, oh, I was just gifted with communication. I think it is something that you actively have to cultivate and develop in yourself if you're going to be an effective communicator. And I do think that there is so many resources and tools that you can use to be an effective communicator, especially in business, because um, so much of, of what we do, whether we like it or not, is about negotiating, right? And I'm not, uh, you know, in in healthcare, I I can't say, even though, you know, I was participating, you know, in the acquisition process, you know, I wasn't necessarily all the time the one doing the deal, but a lot of it is negotiating, right? A lot of it is in body language. A lot of it is in, you know, did people genuinely like me or not before they were going to do that deal? And there are some heavy skill sets that you yourself need to take ownership to learn. So I do feel like if if your company doesn't have the resources to help train you to be a more effective communicator, there's a lot of things that you can do on your own, like uh, things like never split the difference. There's a book that you can, you can get um, the Stephen Covey books. Um, now, now I can't think of what they're called. Uh, you can always put it in the show notes because we'll oh, okay. upload, upload the show notes afterwards. I just blanked out on it. <laughs> but there's a there's a bunch of St- Stephen Covey books about um, how to be an effective communicator, you know, and, and just when we're in tough communication situations, what is the appropriate way to respond? And again, using your emotional intelligence 
to say, okay, this could get really hairy, really fast. What What's the correct question I should ask right here? Or how do I want to coach the situation so that I'm not responding in an, in an ugly manner, right? So how do you pivot? There's a ton of resources that we should all take ownership over. What about continuous improvement? How does that impact failure? I think that when we do not have a culture of continuous improvement, that absolutely impacts failure 100%. And, and again, you're using all the sweet spot words in healthcare. Continuous improvement in healthcare is a, it is a, a sweet spot word. When we don't have a mindset of continuous improvement, meaning we're never there. Right. Even when things are great, even when the culture is great, we're always looking for opportunities for improvement because we know things are going to change. We know people are going to change. We know circumstances are going to change. We know new problems will come up. So we constantly have to have tied to that, that growth set, that growth mindset. You've never arrived in a continuous improvement. You're always green and growing or you're ripe and rotten. And I think that's part of where the fear comes from because in continuous improvement, it means change. It means constant change and we're all afraid of change. So it's like this cycle of change and fear. And the bottom line is that we have to get through the fear and understand how to deal with the fear as a leader and with our team in order to be able to have that continuous improvement, the psychological safety and all of that, and the resilience that we try to build. Absolutely. Ginger, how can our listeners find out more about your work or your career coaching? As I mentioned earlier, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, just plug in Dr. Ginger Raya, and then you can find me on social media. If you're on Instagram, you can find me on Facebook, I'm on Dr. Gingeraya or on um, Twitter, I guess it's X now, but LinkedIn is probably your best bet. And I invite all of our listeners out there to visit me at my website at mdconsultingglobal.com. And there I've got a blog that goes out a couple times a month with a lot of great content for leaders. My social media also is there. So please connect with me there. And I invite you to continue tuning in here every Thursday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, or you can access the on-demand version later on if you miss the live version. You have been listening to Leading with Intention on the Voice America Business Channel. Dr. Ginger Raya, thank you so much for being here today. And again, I encourage all of our listeners to continue joining us every Thursday morning. I'm excited for everyone to tune in again next week. And until then, don't forget to lead with intention. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Leading with Intention. Our intention is that you walk away from this show today with new tools, techniques, and insights that help you lead more effectively and have greater impact within your company. Until we talk again, have a great week.